You're listening to the new security broadcast from the Wilson Center's Environmental Change and Security Program. I'm Lauren Reese, and today I'm joined by Blair Rubel, a Wilson Center Distinguished Fellow, in conversation with composer Claire Loveday and Caroline Chiato, an urban sociologist who specializes in migration, gender, and governance. Caroline and Claire are collaborators on an installation, You Will Find Your People Here, currently being featured at La Biennale in Venice. Through a powerful combination of piano, spoken word, and vocal utterances, You Will Find Your People Here shares the words of migrant women in Johannesburg. Complementing the 30-minute performance by Morelli Stolp is art by Ghanaian artist Awo Chiga that incorporates data on human mobility in Johannesburg. Through an interdisciplinary approach and thoughtful curation, You Will Find Your People Here surfaces the dignity and lived experiences of migrant women. In our conversation, Claire and Caroline unpack the difficulties they confronted in creating the project, what they learned from the migrant women's experiences, and the power of telling their stories through music. Claire and Caroline, it's really nice to see you. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks for sharing the the work that you've done uh, through this project. You will find your people here. I found it really powerful and moving and, and welcome this opportunity to talk to you more about your work. Um, let, could, if you could start by just introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit of back, about uh, your background. And Claire, why don't we start with you? Uh, okay, so I'm a composer who wrote the music for the project. I'm born and raised in Johannesburg. I've lived here my whole life. I'd love a change one of these days, but it's not to be just yet. Um, and my, I have two focuses in composition. I mean, I, I will do a, a wide variety of composition things, but I have two focuses. The one is the classical saxophone and the other is interdisciplinary work, which of course you will find your people here. That's the category this falls into and was a very challenging interdisciplinary work to do, which I think you can see when you when you hear the music and look and watch the project and you can see the sort of multi layers in that project. I'm also, um, I wasn't in academia for 10 years. So it's really nice to work with Caroline who's more strongly in, in that area and kind of pick on that part of her um, because it brings such a wonderful dimension to the work. So yeah, that's me, Johannesburg based composer. That's wonderful. Thank you, Claire. Caroline, over to you. Maybe you could give us a little bit more background about the project and what you brought, what brought you to it. Right. Thank you, Lauren, and thank you, Blair. It's so nice to see you and be amongst old friends. Yes. Um, so let me start with I'm an urban sociologist, and I've always had a passion for understanding cities, particularly cities in the in the global south that are really growing exponentially or in ways that um, are creating challenges around how how to create or build or design or plan cities in ways that can accommodate the needs of those who are moving. So I've always had a passion for understanding people's movements to, to cities, how they both are shaped and shape the city that they come to. So this project was, was really the product um, of my PhD. And it started with my book, Migrant Women of Johannesburg, Life in an In-Between City, which, which actually I was writing in 2011 when I was associated with the Wilson Center and also um, living in DC at the time. 
And I've always had this passion for really creating a bridge between social science and research and, and social justice and transformation, you know, moving the research beyond the, the, the pages in the book and the desks on the policy tables, and really thinking about how can we tell these stories outside of academia, outside of policy circles in ways that can help shift mindsets and shift and transform society. And with this in mind, uh, you know, the book came out, it landed on bookshelves and in libraries in academic circles. And there was always a part of me that thought, how can we, how can these stories be told in, you know, in ways that are beyond this sort of small audience? And Claire and I had, um, had met, she had read, had, had read the book. And we kind of thought, what? And, and she, her feedback was, these are really interesting stories about my city, uh, about the place that I was born. And there are ways in which I feel quite, they feel quite familiar, but there's also ways in which they don't. And, I, you know, I'm really fascinated about how we could collaborate on this. And we thought that was 10 years ago. And the conversation started. And, and, and a few years ago, we found a way in which we could actually collaborate her a composer and me a sociologist and how we could pull together this weird <laughs> and yeah some and very and also very difficult um collaboration what made it what made it difficult uh, <laughs> um these are very i mean this is i'm speaking as the composer these are very delicate stories very personal human experiences of people who are partly vulnerable and partly create their own agency and they're women's voices and so often we don't hear women's voices this is one of the things that also drives me as a composer is one of my big projects is to get women's voices out there so these very delicate very human vulnerable um stories how to tell that through music in a way that doesn't cheapen it, doesn't illustrate it like a Charlie Chaplin movie, um, doesn't make it over-emotional, doesn't tell people how to feel, but rather pulls them into the experiences of the story. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And of course, as a composer, you train that when you set words to music, it's hard and then there's a melody and there it goes and this is not that these are stories this is you know this is completely different and Marilee Stolp the pianist was really keen on the idea of a vocalizing pianist which is you know people know about people in contemporary music know about this way of doing things but it's quite unexplored so you really are sort of wading around in very unknown territory one at the same time trying to hold these very human stories and amplify them and give them a space to be heard without interfering into it yourself too much I mean obviously you are to some extent going to and that's I think what made it what made it so complicated balancing the human factor and the musical factor I've been really fascinated by your project for a number of reasons. I've been thinking a lot about uh, storytelling through the arts and how the arts can give voice to people who are otherwise voiceless. And Carolyn, when you were talking, I was taken back even before your book, you, Lauren, and I, and a whole bunch of other people collaborated on a, a book, joint book project on diver urban diversity. And 
it is sort of the classic academic big thick book with a lot of data and and some theoretical discussions and i remember it was about the time that we at the wilson center were beginning to shift our focus to moving away from the printed page and starting to use um, uh, various media so as you it, it makes me think about how the process might have been different and i'm wondering what new insights did you gain into your data by approaching it through uh, the arts? And Claire, what new insights did you discover about your city by examining uh, this data? What was the value added to uh, combining your work in this way? I think I would say that hearing the music for the first time, and I heard it, and I wasn't part of the practice that um, Claire and Marily were, you know, I didn't attend any of those practices. I didn't, I didn't hear any of the music until the premiere, which was about a year ago. And we made this decision for a couple of reasons. One is I didn't want to interfere with their process of taking in and 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 understand taking in the material and feeling through it and understanding what that meant to them as mm-hmm. as as musicians, as composers. The other was, I also was vulnerable. You know, all of a sudden, these stories leapt out of the page. They leapt out of this sort of theoretical framework and and the empirical evidence and the footnotes that sort of qualify and provide and bolster arguments. And there I was left standing thinking, how is this going to turn into music? I don't even understand that process myself. And so there was a there was a nervousness and anxiety as I sat in that on that night at the premiere listening to the music for the first time. And all I can say is I don't understand what happened at that day, that night. I think what the music took me from my head to my heart. I all of a sudden felt this embodied sense of the women whom I had spoken to for years, whom I'd known whose words I had read and reread, listened to on tape, seen, you know, and, and listened to them in, in person. And I, I, I couldn't understand that transformation, that I, I felt them anew as if they, uh, they were coming to me in an extremely different form, but bringing insights that were so human that I am unable as a social scientist to actually relate or even speak about? Uh, you know, I think for me, it made me see my, my own city in a much more human way. You know, this is a difficult place to negotiate. The moment you step out of your front gate, the problems of the city hit you in your face. You just, you cannot get away from it. And, you know, driving around the city, you see these things all at quite a distance. But, but working through Caroline's stories and having read her book, It gave me, as someone outside of it, much more of a sense of the kind of very human dance that goes on in the city, that we all negotiating our way through the city in various ways. Some of us are more vulnerable than others, but there is a kind of a a place in which we're all the same in that we are all negotiating our ways through this complicated city in in the, the various things that we do. And I think what writing the music for this taught me was to really respect the human element 
of this place. Which doesn't mean I don't like scream and shout at people sometimes because I get so frustrated. But I'm, I'm, you know, understanding that there, these are, these are, that we all in this big complicated thing all together, all working our way around it and through it with each other, rather than being a composer who just lives in her head and just works with notes. I just work with notes, you know, that's what I do. And suddenly I was working with notes and people, and that was difficult and amazing. And I think it's the sort of the kind of telling that exposes human vulnerability to want to belong wherever we are. And I think that is something that can travel across all kinds of cultures and whatever audience you're playing this music to. There's always that there's the hook because we all want to belong somewhere, somehow, and we want safety and that the music moves you to get rid of all the static and really, really feel this this hum very human sense now i'm i'm really struck by uh, what you've been talking about and it relates very much to some work i've been doing the last year and a half about the arts in ukraine and and the current war and there were two things you mentioned that i think are, are really important and sometimes get lost in social science research uh, the first is sort of the human dance of the city it's uh, cities aren't static, they're dynamic. And there's there are relationships that are constantly changing. And social science provides very powerful tools for taking snapshots. But it sometimes doesn't really capture the dynamism that's behind those snapshots. And the other word that you use, Claire, was respect. And I, I, I think this is really an important part of what you've done because you haven't sacrificed social science rigor. We should be clear about that. Underlying all of this is remarkably serious social science research. But often what happens in social science as research gets discussed is that the data becomes important, but the people behind the data become lost. And I think that's part of what makes this so powerful. You're respecting the women you've talked to in a way that makes them more fully human than when they're just data points. So I hope many people out there will take a look at what you've done and think about their own work in, in new ways. Thank you. That's immensely flattering. Um, you know, one of the things that Caroline said right at the start of the project, which completely stayed with me, and in fact, I wrote it on a piece of paper and stuck it on top of my piano, she said, we must be very careful not to portray these women as complete victims because they have agency and they create agency and they take it. And I think because of Caroline's respect for the, for the women, that's, that's also why it comes through so strongly because of Caroline's respect for how these women not only move through the city, but shape it. And it was always in the back of my head as I was writing that music. They, these are not just victims. These are people who take ownership of what they're doing, which is very powerful. It's a very powerful thing to keep in mind, especially mm -hmm. when you're dealing with people who are so vulnerable. I think for me, when I was watching the musical performance and hearing the words, I think that, you know, the the music that you wrote for it, Claire, really sort of evokes a more physical reaction than just listening to the words. Uh, you kind of, uh, like you were saying, Caroline, it goes from your head to the, your heart, right? You sort of, 
feel just a bit of the shattering <laughs> that some of these women have gone through, right, in this process of moving and, and being up against an extremely rigid system and one that's sort of riddled with corruption and not protecting them at all, right, and not really seeing them at all. But the fact that they have, like you were saying, Claire, they have agency, they are very smart in terms of how they navigate these systems that have really excluded them in, in how they respond to sort of the, the social needs. Could you talk to us a little bit about the the maps that are part of the project? I think, you know, they're they're really stunning and tell a different kind of story. The one that has the Kente, is it? Family portraits. Um, it refers to trans local lives. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, Caroline. Yeah, um, I'd be happy to. So just a little bit of a background before I launch into the maps. When we were invited to exhibit at the Biennale, we had a film that was a performance of You Will Find Your People Here, but that was not enough for a Biennale. And we had to think about how do we expand this so that it can be an exhibition that fills space, but that also tells a broader story. So what we wanted to do was uh, combine these sort of intimate stories and this intimate telling of these women's lives in Johannesburg with data, with, with an overarching or, or, or overall sort of understanding of who, who moves, why do they move, why is Johannesburg important? So we used survey data from that was collected by the WITS Oxford Mobility Governance Lab in 2021 and they had done this whole survey on on mobility in the city and in different parts of Johannesburg and we took that data and 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 started to think about well how do we how do we tell this story this data story sort of that connects to the women in ways that are a fun you know and you know that are worthy of an exhibit in the biennale but also that really use artifacts that migrant women might use, you know, that, that continue that sort of thread around the fact that this is women moving and, and, and so on. And so we had one, one request from the Biennale that it had to, whatever we did, it had to be zero carbon. We had to have nothing remain, an installation that could be pulled together, put in a suitcase and left and gone. So the, the one thing that was open to us then was cloth. You know, we could portray some of this and project some of this data as uh, on cloth. We thought, how wonderful would it be if we could use the designs from cloth that women would tie around their, their waists or carry their babies on or wrap as head wraps. How wonderful could it be if we use those same designs to tell the data story? And that's what we did. So we took African designs and, and if you know African sort of cloth designs well, you know that they are always hiding messages or passing on messages. When Obama, for example, became president of the United States, the Tanzanian kanga cloth had his picture on celebrating his presidency. And so these are, it, the cloth has always been used to tell stories and to send messages. And this just fits so perfectly with us. So we used an artist, we worked together, collaborated with an artist, Awotsega, who's Ghanaian, 
to really convert bubble maps and graphs into these interesting designs that not only stay true to the data, but also are visualized in these ways that had a real connectivity to the women whose stories we were telling. It's really striking, the images. And I, I, I like that sort of the storytelling piece of the cloth. It, it's very much in line with the rest of the project and sort of telling these, the, you know, sharing the lived experiences of these women and showing how diverse they are. Blair, did you want to chime in? Yeah, uh, we've talked about the women quite a bit. And Carolyn, you mentioned that you've known some of them for a long time. Have they had any reaction to uh, what you've done? Some of them who are still there have, you know, they've thought that this has, I, I sent them the cloth and I sent them the video and they have been really excited. We wish that they could travel to Venice, but, you right. know, given the state of immigration, uh, mobility <laughs> um, in the world today, th that is not possible, but we really want to, we're working together with the curator of the Biennale to, to move this the, the exhibition in, and bring it to Johannesburg and other parts of the continent so that we can actually engage with the people who, who, whose stories we're telling in, in this way and have, and have more robust sort of conversations around migration. You know, all of the stories are unique and different, right? Um, which I think is important in and of itself because we do tend to, when we think about the, the data, forget who's behind it, but it's there's not a one who, right? There's like a whole population and every individual experience is very unique and different. But are there sort of common themes that you saw emerge in their stories, Caroline? The theme around be wanting to be heard was very strong. And it was interesting because, you know, when, when you're doing this kind of research, there are ways in which people are really vulnerable. They may not have paperwork to, to be in the city. They might still be asylum seekers and waiting for more permanent status. They, they might be running away from conflict at home and don't want to be identified. And this is a real ethical question for me around how do you how do how does one tell stories of of group of popu a population that that could really be victimized because of who because of who they are you know and what was really interesting is that as I uh, you know as I expressed this concern to the women as I uh, when I talked to them more and more they said they kept on saying no we want our voices to be heard we want our stories to be heard we want people to know and we want them to know in order I mean they didn't use these words but then in the end I thought all we want is to be regarded as human regarded as normal human beings in one way or another and, and to, to create that connectivity with others. And this was really something that re was remarkable. We had early on before, before we had the exhibition, I had a, a very small exhibition with um, in Yovo, which is the area that I'd done most of my research. It's a migrant rich neighborhood in, in the center of Johannesburg. And that was in the Yovo Library. And we had oomed and ahed about why would, you know, would, would the women like their pictures to be shown? Should we black them out? Should we blur them? And they said distinctively, no, we want to be seen. 
And we want our pictures there so that we can come and look and see where we are and who we are. And it was a really insightful moment for me, this, this sort of feeling that is, you know, human again, to be heard, to be seen. Well, it's extraordinary and courageous, but also just does underscore that point. Uh, Blair and Claire, I kind of have a question for both of you because of, you know, Blair, you've spent decades sort of recognizing the power of art and music in helping shape, well, give voice to people, but also shape policies that are more responsive to populations, right? And Claire, you've had this experience with this project in particular. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that connection, about what you hope comes out of these kind of, whether they're art exhibitions or musical performances, or I think, Blair, you've written about sort of plays and how they connect to places and to sort of helping to to shape a better uh, community and responsive government, really. Okay, I mean, look, I, I obviously can't talk about shaping government policy. <laughs> That's like way out of my... Sure, we'll give my, that one to Blair. Yeah, We'll give that one to Blair. <laughs> I think, I mean, for me, the, the thing is to get these stories told. I, for years, have been working on a very, very slow burning project about writing a women's opera, about women in South Africa, their stories told by women, sung by South African women with a, a South Africa, with a, a women's cast, you know, to, to, to get these stories told. And I mean, I know that in a theatre or, or on a concert stage, you are preaching a little bit to the converted, but I do think that it raises an awareness and it puts... Um, stories out there that are otherwise not being heard. You know, if you can reach a couple of people a couple of times, things can start to shift. Um, and I think particularly in South Africa, which is so patriarchal, getting women's stories out there is, is really, really important because women really are silent. And I think to get those stories out there will not only maybe give women the confidence to speak out more or to think, gosh, someone's, you know, these stories are actually being told. Maybe we should tell them in, in our way or maybe I could do it like this or, you know. But people have to listen. If the stories are out there, people have to listen. I, th I think that, well, I mean, I think, I, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's that's my sort of thinking behind it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, in the context of Johannesburg in South Africa, just the providing a platform for them to speak, right? They're not, they're not silent, they're silenced. And so when you give that space, they take advantage of it, which is great. Blair? And I also think the arts, because they do touch the heart as well as, as the head, brings people who might not listen to words into more of a dialogue uh, across various boundaries. I mean, I have just been actually reading about uh, the emergence of rock and roll in Memphis, Tennessee in the 50s. And part of the story was there were all these white people who liked the music too. In fact, they liked it so much they, they copied it. And, and I, I think there are a lot of experiences. You know, we often talk these days about the arts in economic terms. Well, cities should have the arts because they generate X number of jobs and Z number of, of dollars. The arts are really about something else. They go back as long as human beings have gone back to sitting around a campfire telling stories. And therefore, they actually communicate in a way 
that is different. It touches something uh, that's deeper. And I, you know, Lauren is alluding to some work I did on uh, the use of theater in Washington before Washington had home rule. Uh, Washington was without a local government for 99 years and was basically governed by Congress directly. And uh, there seem to be some people in Congress today who want to return to, to that model. So there was no political outlet uh, for folks. And theater and music emerged as a way in which people who had no political power were able to get their, their own stories and demands known. And, and I think um, in the story, uh, stories coming out of Johannesburg, that's a major part of, of what's going on. It, it, it literally gives voice in ways in which other institutions don't. And I'm, I'm fascinated, Carolyn, that it you had that exhibit in a local library, which on the one hand is an institution, but on the other hand is obviously libraries are really important hubs for creating community identity. And it's, it's interesting that that library was interested in showing these stories and, and, and bringing into the library people who might otherwise never have gone in there. So that also is an interesting part of the story. Yeah, and that was also another collaboration with artist Terry Kurgan. And she had this big project that she called Hotel Yeovil, you know, where people came and met, really exploring the history of Yeovil, which has been a migrant space for decades, you know, starting with Jewish migrants and now, you know, migrants from the rest of the continent. And, and so it was actually, it was actually with, with some foresight that the city had you know agreed for us to kind of collaborate on this i think in some ways the timing of the the project is i know it took 10 years but it's kind of perfect i mean i think about one the first concert i went to after well not i mean it's not that the pandemic's necessarily over but i guess it is in some respects the first concert i was able to go to right at the tail end of when the pandemic had sort of gotten in a better shape it was a very, I would say that a lot of the audience were people that I wouldn't normally cross paths with, <laughs> right? And I, and just, you know, probably different sides of a political spectrum and living in different parts of the country. I traveled to the concert and it was wonderful, right? It was like this shared experience of joy and celebration and, and just, you know, enjoying this music together. And I was, was thinking about how much we missed out on those kinds of connections over the course of the pandemic and how important having that outlet for coming together when you otherwise might not can be for having sort of a harmonious living experience, right? And it just strikes me of, of how important art and music can be in providing that space for audiences to come together. I hope that we can bring your exhibit to DC. That would be wonderful. Oh, oh man, that would be brilliant. Make That'd it happen. <laughs> I, Lauren, you know, apropos what you were saying, I think it's, you know, really interesting how the arts and music can bridge these divides across Political, the political spectrum. And this is precisely why this kind of work is important. The fact that it, it kind of gets, it, it spears through the noise and the static that keep us, you know, polarized and apart 
and really opens up this sort of very vulnerable space of being, you know, which is we just want to connect. We just want to be human beings and we just want to connect. And I find that that is so powerful. That's why, you know, these collaborations, however difficult they might be, however not sexy projects, you know, they might be, how important they remain, you know, linking research and 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 the arts. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, there has been research that shows that audience members during a live performance synchronize their breathing and heart and pulse rates. So there's a, there's a physiological building of community. And it's going to be a challenge moving forward as we get more and more of our entertainment through computers and we're sitting in isolation. And I, I think one of the interesting effects of the pandemic is that for many people, there was a sense that they wanted to come together, like, like Lauren, like you talked about it at that concert. And there are limits to technology-driven art forms. They're very powerful. They take creativity in new directions. They, I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing them. But there is a need to supplement them with other kinds of experiences. And I think you know, sporting events are another example of, of, of this. But the last five years have shown the power of shared communal experiences and what happens when we begin to lose them. Yeah, you know, um, many, many years ago, I made a decision never to write uh, electronic music because of the because of the thing of working with human beings. Um, that is why I, I, I always say I don't write music, I write, I write for musicians. Um, I don't write music for music, I write for musicians. And um, Lauren, you were talking a little while ago about the, the, the experience of, of listening to this piece. And I actually wrote into the piece quite, a, quite some parts of it that are hard to play so that the pianist is tense. And that ten, I mean, Marley is a, is a wonderful pianist and often hides that tension, but the audience can feel it because they can feel that her hands are not sitting comfortably on the piano. This is not Chopin that's very pianistic. It's, it, and it makes the pianist quite tense and that tension carries to, across to the audience so that the very visceral experience of being in a live theatre performance is absolutely central to communicating that. Um, and then people are feeling that tension on the stage. They're feeling it themselves and they're feeling it in each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. She she does. Uh, it's Morelli, right? Stolp? Um, she Marley, yeah. Marley. She does an extraordinary job. Um, I mean, I played the piano growing up, so I have a sense of how difficult that piece is. But also speaking the words as she's playing the songs. I mean, that that was really sort of awe-inspiring to see and, and, and speaking them in a way that really conveys these stories, right? Like that's a, that's a big responsibility that she's carrying in that performance to say these, the words of these women while also playing your piece. So it, she, please give her, um, you know, my applause. It was really extraordinary and wonderful. Yeah. Um, and she is a remarkable pianist. She did um, a Zhevsky vocalizing pianist piece and she actually went for acting lessons to do the piece. And this is why I felt we could trust her with this. I mean, she was very much part of it from the beginning, but because she takes the actual vocalizing so seriously, 
she's not just saying the words and playing, she's really investing in it, which yeah. also makes the performance much more powerful. Right. You don't feel like you're listening to somebody read these words. You feel like you're listening to these women tell the stories. Yeah. Marley, Claire and I were, you know, we had endless debates about the sort of ethics, like what, what were we trying to do here? And were we trying to give voice to these women's experiences? Um, were we trying to be sort of, you know, the instrument that takes them their words to the world? And we and we we were very clear that we're not trying, we're not sort of the saviors, you know, who are broadcasting this um these stories so that we can, you know, the the pain of the women or their their experiences can be heard. It was really how our how you know Marley it was Marley's response and reflection on Claire's music and on the words and the words of the testimony in the end it was her response her interpretation of of these experiences that come out in a way that we hope sort of broadens that that the audience for for these kinds of things and and gets those stories heard you know well, it's an extraordinary project, and and I hope that we have an opportunity to host you in DC. I think it's a, it would be wonderful to be able to share it with the the DC audience, um, and of course, there's a good African diaspora in DC too who I think would appreciate it as well. Thank you, Claire and Caroline, for your time today, and thank you for the extraordinary work. Oh, thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. listening to the new security broadcast from the Wilson Center. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, follow us on Twitter at newsecuritybeat and visit newsecuritybeat.org.